have an insurance policy with Tool over here. Yeah, so the big question is, what did you do this time? Um, I was walking down a sidewalk, and I missed a step and uh, twisted one ankle, and I don't know what I did to the other one, but both of them are messed up, and um, it, it was just a spontaneous falling. And you can, you can laugh. <laughs> it really was funny. Lee laughed. She's um, so we'll see how long I can stand on it. Let's pray for me. Father, as Rachel just prayed, we just uh, are read. We, we pray, God, that your word would penetrate our hearts in such a deep fashion that it would transform us. That, that God, as we read your word, we hear it spoken today. We, we don't just walk out of here um, as just another Sunday but that we would understand uh, the price paid for our redemption and that in that redemption we have been made new and free. And so, Lord, in our freedom we rejoice uh, that you have not enslaved us again to fear, but you have taken our fear away that we might live boldly as your people on this earth. So, God, furrow deep in our hearts the seed of your word. May we be blessed by its reading and its hearing. Forgive the one who speaks of his sins. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. We're going to continue in Romans uh, this morning. And we enter into this fifth chapter for the first four chapters. And those behind, we've talked about um, not only just sort of the cries that the Reformation had of we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as the scriptures alone present him and that it is all for God's glory alone. But now we understand that that, that justification, that those things, those cries are made real and foundational by our faith and that we have faith in all of the things that Christ has accomplished. And so Paul then begins to make this transition from looking at Abraham so that we might look at what the fruit of that faith is. And we enter in this morning into the fifth chapter of looking at one of the greatest fruits of all, which is the fruit of freedom. And it's the subtitle of our sermon series, Transforming Faith into Freedom. Not that faith becomes freedom, but that faith gives us a freedom that we've never experienced. I'm, I'm struck in the Christian faith that it is the only faith in the world, on the globe, that actually encourages freedom, that all other religions and all other uh, misnomers of who God is require some type of enslavement, some type of bondage, but it is only Christ alone who says that the Son has come to set you free, and if he has set you free, then you are free indeed. Well, exactly what are we free from? Well, in a nutshell, we're free from what I call the three Ps. We're free from perjury. We're free from the perjury of sin. That sin would whisper in our ears that the gospel cannot be true. We're also free from the power of sin. That by the indwelling and incarnation of the Holy Spirit within us, we're able to see sinful things and recognize them for what they are. 
And we are free to say no to them and say yes to the life that God has given us. Thank you, Bernie. And not only are we free from the perjury of sin and the power of sin, but we are most assuredly free of the punishment of sin. That Christ has taken the punishment of sin off of us that we might live. So in a basic sense, we are completely free from those three things that would separate us from God. But we're also free to enter into something and some things as well, which Paul tells us here in the first five verses of this Roman letter. We one time, um, do you guys know what a sugar glider is? Some of you may know it as a flying squirrel. Um, One of them got caught in our bathroom fan when we lived in Tennessee. And praise the Lord, um, when I, I think it was maybe one of us was going in there, and before we flipped the switch, I saw the insulation coming down out of the fan, and I looked up there, and there was there was a big eyeball looking down at me. I screamed, I'm not ashamed, and I ran. I'm not, I'm not used to eyeballs looking at me out of the ceiling. And then the investigations began. We got the tennis rackets out. We got the broomsticks. And we, as we finally poked around enough and saw the little head pop out, it was a sugar glider. Well, then the real comedy began because we took the fan down and the sugar glider, guy, glider just came on out. And so there was Brad and Lee and Caleb in a 10 by 10 bathroom trying to catch something that was flying at us. And we were ducking and we were screaming and we were swatting. But the reality was all we wanted was to set that little creature free. I wanted nothing more than that little thing to be free and out of my house. But it was running and it was flying and it was chirping. And it was scaring the spit out of all of us. But the motivation was I just wanted it to live. You see, our Father in Heaven puts circumstances and things in our lives that scare us. And our inclination is to run and to hide and to fly and to chirp. But the reality is there's nothing more that God wants for you and I than to know the freedom that we have in Him so that we might enter into the fruits of that freedom. We want to talk this morning about the freedom of God's presence with us, the freedom that brings us peace, and the freedom to be loved and to love this morning. If you look with me at these first few chapters, or first few verses of this fifth chapter, Paul, under the writing of the Holy Spirit, says this, that therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. What an incredible, bold statement. What a wonderful thing of the gospel. Many of us still wander around thinking God may be mad at me in some corner of my life. There may be some hidden hammer behind God's back. There may be something, some record that God's looking at and making a little checkbox of all the places where I've messed up, all the places where I've fallen on my face, everything that I've done wrong. In fact, we begin to then translate that into everything that's bad in my life, everything's hard in my life because I did all these things and now God's 
punishing me for all those bad things that I did. Nothing could be further. God's using those things to drive you into understanding that you can have peace in the middle of your chaos. I'm from Florida. I'm not ashamed of that either. But we have bad storms there. Some of you call them hurricanes. The interesting thing about a hurricane, many of you don't know this about a hurricane. Did you know they're absolutely, this is a side note, this is free. The hurricanes are absolutely necessary. They're like a heat burp for the earth. It takes all the hot air and disperses it out into the atmosphere so that cool air will come down and it'll cool the earth. Isn't that cool? That was free. But they, they're strong storms, and many of us get scared, and we board up our houses, and we, we you know, shore up our trees, and we put covers over the windows so that they won't break. The reality is that's all pretty much a waste of time. Because at a Category 1 or a Category 2, it's not going to do that much damage. It's really just a bad thunderstorm. Category 3 and Category 4, you might as well leave because it's all going to get leveled. But what's really interesting, if you were to see one come in off the ocean, you'll see a raging water and raging deep seas. But if you go down 10 feet underneath that, it's as calm as it can be. It's completely at peace. Fish are going on about their lives like fish normally do. And what God is saying to us through Jesus Christ, even though the storms rage, even though the winds blow hard, even though you may have everything boarded up or everything wiped out, there is a peace that you and I can enter into in Jesus that's as calm as it is below the storm. That we have peace that Jesus has provided for us. It is a a peace that is provided by Christ. And because it's a peace that is provided to us by Christ, we understand it's also through Him that we've obtained this access by faith, that it's through Him that this peace is protected. He provides for us peace, and because He provides that peace, He protects that peace. In Isaiah chapter 27, the Lord says that He will protect His people, that He will guard them, and no one can come to them. Jesus says that anyone that has been put into his hand, no one can snatch them out of his hand. Paul would later say in this very letter to Romans that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not life, nor death, nor sufferings, nor principalities, nothing in heaven, nothing in hell can ever separate you and I from the love of God through Christ Jesus. You see, you and I never be afraid that the peace that we enter into is a peace that will be taken away from us. Because the peace was provided by him, and he is the very one who protects it in you and I. Makes us question, what is it we're afraid of? I know the things that bring me fear. They may be some of the things that bring you fear too. Will we have enough? Will the money last? Will things work out like I think they should? What will my x-ray say? What will the prognosis be? Will my children come home? Will my spouse forgive me? There's all sorts of things that would threaten to undo our peace within us. But it's that very circumstance, it's that very threat that drives us into Christ deeper to the realization that Christ will protect, 
that which He has provided for you. That He will be your peace. And He will be my peace. But there's another element in this peace. This peace is also abundant. The peace is provided, the peace is protected, and the peace is abundant. How could it be any less abundant if it didn't come from Christ? Think who it is that provides the peace. The one who has everything. The one who owns everything. The one who created everything. The one who can have anything that he wants at his own desire by simply speaking it into being. He is the very one that has indwelled you and I. The very one that is incarnate in you and I. He is the very one that says in the gospel, I no longer call you my servant, but I call you friend. It is not a tyrant that brings you peace, but it is the friend that brings you peace. Interesting word in this, through Him we have obtained access by faith into the grace and now we, which we stand. That word access is a word that means an introduction. That Christ Himself introduces you and I into that which we never had before, into the presence of God's grace to stand, to exist, to hold in this umbrella, this covering of God's grace. Isn't that an amazing thing? That it is Jesus himself that brings you and brings myself into the presence of God and introduces us to the Father as friends. Our boys would bring home friends all the time. Some, you know, in my humanness, I was a little, had an eyebrow or two raised over. But for the most part, when my children brought friends home, they were my friends. I wanted to treat them well. I wanted them to know that they're welcome in our home at any time. Some of us have gone as far as to build swimming pools or basketball courts in our yard so that the kids will come. We've always wanted our home to be a home of hospitality where our, our children's friends would come and be our friends as well. And it wasn't long after those kids would come and swim in the pool or hang out with us that they became also sort of surrogate family something much better, something much deeper, something much more profound has happened to you and I in Christ Jesus. Not only does He call us friends, but we by Him and through Him have been adopted as His sons and His daughters. So that when we are introduced into the throne room of grace by the Lord Jesus Himself, we are not introduced as strangers or aliens, but we are introduced as family members being welcomed home by the Father. So you and I are free to have peace with God because this peace was provided by Christ, the peace is protected by Christ, and the peace is abundant because we are part of the family. And if we are part of the family, then as Paul says later, we are also heirs to all that belongs to Christ. Nothing in this world, nothing in this flesh, nothing that comes against you and I can ever rob us of our peace if we will drive ourselves deeper into the one who gives it to us. If we can just skip our focus over the present and into what awaits us, we can endure all things through Christ. We're so consumed by the immediate that we forget the future. 
Well, not only do we have freedom of peace, but let me also suggest we also have a freedom of living in God's presence. Because of this introduction of Christ into the presence of God, we have freedom to be our living continually, even now and in the future, within the presence of God. Paul says in the third verse, not only that, but we were, I'm sorry, in the second verse, through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying that this introduction allows us to be bathed, to be lavish, to be immersed within God's glory continually. That even now, as you and I sit here in these pews, we are being deluged by the glory of God. You may think, I don't feel it. It's not meant for you and I to feel. It's meant for you and I to experience. There's only one way for us to experience it. Is that we have to reach out in this very moment with the arm of faith and take hold of what is objectively true according to Christ. That His glory is being poured out on you in this moment right now. There is a reality that is beyond what we see and what we touch and what we feel that's even more real than that which is perishing. It's the reality of the imperishable. And the imperishable is this, that you will never, ever again exist outside of the presence of God's glory being deluged upon you. Thank God it's not based on how I feel. Thank God it's not based on my circumstances. Thank God it's not based on my thoughts. Thank God it is based solely upon the work of Jesus Christ and His truth of His command saying that it is true. Too many of us live by our sight. We live by our own thought patterns. We live by our own immediate experience instead of living based in faith on the promises of God and His truth for us. We must turn away from the flesh. We must turn away from what is perishing. We must live in the imperishable by faith, knowing that every moment, every click of the clock, we are under the gaze of the Father who has brought us peace. One day when my kids were young, we had just moved into the community in the in the national park and there was a police officer that happened to drive by the house and he was just there to welcome us and just say, hey, I, this is my route. I'm, I'm here if you ever need me. And as we were talking, I noticed that uh, one of my boys was peeking out the window. And the police officer pulled away and my son came out and said, Dad, what was that all about? I said, well, I just had called a policeman to come by and so that he would know who you are. And he would watch you wherever you go. So I want you to understand, son, you will not do anything or go anywhere that I will not be aware of. 
but there's a better gaze. There's an omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent gaze that is always upon you and I. No matter where you go, no matter where you're at, in the doctor's office, in the courtroom, in work, in the living room, in the bedroom, He's there looking after you, watching over you, using all of your circumstances to bring you peace and the knowing that He's working it for your good, that He's bringing you into a land that is filled with glory in which you now stand. You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Abraham and how the language was a perfect past tense when God said, I will make you the father of many nations. That it was a perfect past tense phrase there that he used with Abraham saying that, Abraham, this is already done. This is non-negotiable. It's already accomplished. It's the same type language here. You have already been introduced into the presence of God as a son and a daughter and therefore God's peace is already there for you and God's glory is already upon you and I. Only to be fully experienced when the imperishable is fully shed and we are fully imperishable with Him. But God invites you and I today to enter into that which is already We have the freedom to be introduced and live in the presence. And it's a holy introduction. I talked about the storms earlier. Sometimes you may have seen them, the wind blowing. You know what you have to do when the wind blows in your face? You have to lean into it so that you won't fall over. The wind won't push you over. And in the same way, you and I must lean into the power of the Holy Spirit when the wind of life comes into us, lean into Him. And that's what these phrases are talking about. That we are to know that this introduction brings us into God's glory so that we might rest upon it. That we might lean and be stabilized by it. That we might know that God holds us. Because we have been justified by Christ. Because we are in a presence that is free from condemnation. Because Jesus has fully paid the price for you and I. There is not one thing left on the record. There is no hammer behind God's back for you. You can say, oh, well, what about my mess up for tomorrow? What about if I just really blow it tomorrow? Beloved, you already have blown it for tomorrow. You're just not there yet. That's not an excuse. But it is a reality for you and I to begin to understand that sin that you and I create or commit one year from now has already been paid for on the cross of Christ. That you and I are free from condemnation. Paul will say it more emphatically as Phil read this morning later in this and we'll spend a whole Sunday morning on it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't come and it doesn't go. It's not a tide that ebbs and flows. It is a peace that lasts constantly all the time being poured out on you and me eternally. We rejoice and live in joy 
because there is no condemnation because when Jesus said it is finished, it is finished. That would be something to clap at. But you're also free not only to have peace and to live in God's presence, but you must understand this, you're free to be loved and to love. Paul goes on to write in the third verse, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. The greatest gift I've ever gotten in my life was not given to me by a man or a woman or my mother or my father. The greatest gift I have is invaluable. The greatest gift I have, I could never purchase. The greatest gift I have, I could never earn. The greatest gift I have, I do not have enough money for. The greatest gift that I have has been given to me by God Himself, and it is Him in me, the Holy Spirit. It is the greatest gift you will ever receive. It's not anything you can earn. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. You can't show your record for it. It's incalculable in its value. The only way that you can ever receive the Holy Spirit in your life is by God's eternal decree for you to have His love poured out in your heart. And because of that, we understand that this grace in which we stand, this justification in which we have, this peace which we experience is sealed by the Holy Spirit within us. Do you remember God's promise to Abraham? It was better than just land. And it was better than an heir. Do you remember the ultimate promise God made to Abraham? I, God, will be your great reward. You remember that? When God promised Abraham, He said, Abraham, I, your God, will be your reward. There's nothing greater in all of the universe that you could ever have. There's nothing of more value than God. Why are we struggling to earn so much? Why are we busy trying to get ulcers over that which is perishing when the reward for the believer is none other than God Himself? And in the same way God promised to be Abraham's reward, here in this verse God says, I am your reward. I will live in you. I will be your presence. I will be your keeper. I will be your shade when it's hot. I'll be your warm when it's cold. I'll be your light when it's dark. I'll be your breath when you have no breath. 
We have the Holy Spirit given as a gift by the work of Jesus who provides our peace and protects our peace. We are sealed by that Holy Spirit. We are sealed with God's love not only from within, but also from without. He protects us as though a coat protects us from the rain, and He protects us from within, shielding us like a shield on the coat of armor of a warrior. Because of the incarnation of God's Spirit within us. How do I begin to experience that freedom? How do we begin to apply what we've heard today? You and I must make a conscious and deliberate decision to elevate Christ in our lives more fully. I have to make a conscious decision when I want to run in fear to stop in my tracks and stand in the grace that has been provided for me and elevate Christ over that which is frightening me. And sometimes I do that with a shaky voice. Sometimes I do that when my knee's knocking so hard. You think I'm, I'm a building about to collapse. But it's still by faith in that fear, a decision that I make to say, Christ will stand over my fears. And I will believe that before I believe my knocking knees. Let me give you a quick principle. A bradism. The feeling of faith is uncomfortable. The feeling of faith is discomfort. If it's not uncomfortable and it's not discomfort, then it, you don't have to have faith. But the fruit of faith is peace. It's when you and I apply our faith into the circumstances that frighten us that we reap the peace of faith seeing God work in our circumstances to bring them to glory. You and I must make a conscious decision to elevate Christ above everything else in our lives. But also we must elevate our circumstances up to Christ. To do that, we must let go of them. We must let go of controlling every jot and every tittle in our life and say, Lord, here it is. I surrender it to you. Do as you will. We're told when we do that in Philippians, right, what happens? That a peace that passes understanding is ours in Christ Jesus. There's no need for us to fret. There's no need for us to have churned up stomachs. There's no need for us to be fearful and frightful of what tomorrow might bring if we will elevate our circumstances up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you're omnipotent. I believe all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Here it is. Take it. And even as our dear, dear brother in the Gospels would say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
we still come and still say, Jesus, I'm going to take this back a hundred times before this ten minutes is over. But help me release it. Let me give it to you. And then we must need, learn to lean upon the Lord, our Holy Spirit. It's hard to trust who you don't know. We must believe that the promise of God is true, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. When Paul says later in Colossians that we have the mind of Christ, we must believe that. We must appropriate that by faith. We must believe that Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, evidenced by my spirit that indwells you, that he meant that. And that you and I realize we're never alone. So that later we can understand that God truly is working all things together for our good. And we can be free to believe and to trust and to know we're never going to be escorted out of the presence of God because the one who escorted us in will never abandon us. And that's what faith calls us to. The belief that we will never be abandoned by Christ. That when He said those words, He was telling us the truth. One more Bradism. The highest expression of love is faith. The highest expression of love is faith that I have such love for the one who has promised me something that I would never doubt they won't come through. Oh, we struggle with that on our human level. I get that. We all, we all are messed up and broken. But God's not messed up and God's not broken. And that's why we're able to trust Him. And that's why everything is based on faith. Because it's our best way to say, God, I love you. God, I trust you. God, I believe you. I know you won't leave me. I know you won't abandon me. I know you have good for me. More than I believe any other circumstance in life, God, I believe you love me. And that is how we face even our own perishing from this earth. That we will never taste darkness. We will never taste the abandonment of death. It's not something that we will ever experience. How do we know? Because Christ will be with us. We will never be alone. There's nothing for us to fear. And we will not be punished when we get there. The punishment's already been dished out but we will receive a crown of righteousness. The very righteousness of Christ. And because that's true, and we can have faith in that, in this day and on this moment and in this pew, you can be free.
free from fear, free from failure, free to succeed. Let's pray. Gracious Christ, we haven't even scratched the surface of what you have done for us. Help us, Lord, as we have said, to believe even as we struggle in believing. But Lord, one thing we know for sure, we are yours. And you will get us home before dark. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we sing our closing song.